could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, as we have returned from the NBA All-Star break, we are going to be ranking our top eight contenders as we enter this home stretch with a lot of these teams retooled and some of them looking quite different than they did before the deadline. All of them getting more serious about basketball as winning time is approaching rapidly. So Logan, I think it makes sense to cut things off at eight because that's about where I see the delineation between teams with a legit chance at the finals and then just a couple more very good teams. So let's start from the bottom. Who do you have in that eight spot in your contender rankings? Uh, Number eight, I've got the Los Angeles Clippers, and I'll start with some teams that I left off here. I don't have the Dallas Mavericks. I don't have the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't have the Los Angeles Lakers, and I don't have the Pelicans. Um, Pelicans, Zion's hurt. I think if Zion is full health, the Pelicans have a chance. I think that if the Lakers get into the playoffs— they have a legit chance. Uh, the Grizzlies have no shot, in my opinion, to a title. And then the Mavericks, I think their defense is just going to let them down. Uh, so I gave it to the Clippers. And we're going to have to see how the Russell Westbrook acquisition plays out. Because, like, uh, Carson made a TikTok on this. We talked about this on the podcast last time. Um, I do think the Russell Westbrook uh, addition actively hurts the Clippers in certain situations. Uh, like you said, you can't play him in crunch time. And I thought... Friend of the show, uh, Jason Temp. I loved his analogy for Russell Westbrook. Uh, excuse that car in the background if you guys picked <laughs> up on that. Um, I'm trying to shoot a podcast here, buddy. Get your head out of your ass. It's disrespectful. Uh, I love Jason Temp's analogy for the addition of Russell Westbrook. It's adding a bunch of alcohol to a social situation. I mean, that's, yeah, it's exactly what it is. It can go, it can be the greatest night of all time. It can be the worst ever. We're going to have to see how that plays out. But in the last... Uh, in the last five games or whatever, the games that we've seen with, uh, I don't have it right in front of me, the Clippers' offense has been much better. It's been the issue with them all season long, not having Kawhi, not having PG, and at full strength, they look legit. Kawhi gets to his spots effortlessly, and Paul George, if he can just be good enough, you know, around 24, 5, and 5 a night, that will be good enough to get them through. You've got a lot of shooting here, you've got a lot of defense, and you've got a flamethrower in Norman Powell who can absolutely light it up on any given night in the playoffs, and... So the Clippers really don't have any holes. They've got a third guy who can help them out, Norman Powell. They've got the top two guys to carry them through, Kawhi, PG. They don't have that traditional point guard presence, and dumbasses, I don't want you to argue that Russell Westbrook is that guy. (laughs) And they've got a defensive ceiling where I don't hate the Clippers, right? That's the thing with the Dallas Mavericks is I love Kyrie, I love Luka. They don't have any defense. And I thought you laid it out perfectly, Carson. Any matchup where there's a lot of size, the Mavericks are getting big-bodied and they're getting run off the floor. Any guys who can get downhill consistently, the Mavs don't have the size to compete with them. So I don't think they're legit contenders. The Clippers have shooting, they have spacing, they have defense, they've got a top two that are really good, and they've got a third dominant scorer. So yeah, uh, I see a path for the Clippers. And honestly, uh, to be transparent with you guys, the Clippers would be much higher on my list had they not added Russell Westbrook to their team. Mm. I think it actively hurts them and I've moved them down my contender rankings accordingly. Uh, I'll have to see how this plays out and adjust accordingly after we see Russ on the floor. That's interesting. I 
probably view it as a slight negative again because you think well there's generally something of an obligation to play Russ that's what we've seen other teams feel at least and uh, yeah in big minutes I do think his decision making his liability status away from the ball his defensive issues his lack of shooting all that does make him a negative but I also think there are certain bench lineups in which yeah you put him with a bunch of shooters and it's good to have a guy who can create some penetration and create some looks for others so I don't like the move overall because I am concerned that the downsides with him playing any sort of significant minutes outweigh the upsides but it's not like a move that topples their status in my hierarchy I think it's at most sort of a tiebreaker in the negative direction for them but I think you laid it out we've seen this team reach their offensive ceiling now they have the number two offense in basketball over their last 15 when Kawhi and PG play together they have an offensive rating of 121.8 a net rating of plus 11 and a half when those two guys are together and just when Kawhi plays they're 23 and 11 so they're a really good basketball team especially on the offensive end and this is very similar to the previous iterations of the Clippers that we saw in 2020 and 2021 it is essentially the same formula with a lot of the same role pieces like Terrence Mann is better than he was but even he came up big in the 2021 playoffs and their probably best five-man lineup and honestly, a couple of their best five-man lineups involve the exact same pieces. If it's PG, Morris, Kawhi, Zubots, man, or if you go small and swap out, say, Zubots for Batum come playoff time, all those guys have been there. So even with the injuries that they've experienced, they do have significant continuity here, and they do have a clear identity, which is, as it's been since the jump, Kawhi and PG creating out of isolation and pick and roll, lethal pull-up jump shooters, and then just phenomenal spacing and spot-up shooting around them. And yeah, that can generate elite offense. But at the same time, their greatest strength can be their greatest weakness, which is the fact that they are so dependent on that pull-up jump shooting and that spot-up shooting from role guys who really are generally relatively one-dimensional in terms of they want to be catch-and-shooters above all else. Not a lot of great close-out attackers, in my opinion. So... This is a team that, when they're clicking shooting the ball, can be nearly unbeatable. But the problem is, we've seen both playoff series that they've lost in the PG and Kawhi era, it was largely because they shot under 34% from deep, and they did not have that high-level backup plan, basically. They can't just out-physical you coming downhill. And in the other three series, which they've won... They've shot 40% from deep. So there is a clear floor and ceiling here that is so contingent on the three-point shot. And Russ just is not the fix there. Like, yeah, he adds another guy who will bring some playmaking and the ability to attack the rim. But again, he's just too flawed. He's too inefficient. He's not a good finisher. He's too bad defensively. He can't complement your star players. So he's not the fix to this. And... The reality is, part of the reason that I like, for example, the Lakers more than them, who I'll just spoil, I have one spot ahead here, is because they feel like a real basketball team. Like, I just think it's so important in a playoff series to have multiple options, to have counters, to have a plan B, because I think you need that. 
And the Lakers, to me, like in a series against the Nuggets, just match up better physically, right? They have a guy like LeBron who can just impose his will on the game night to night in a way that even a Kawhi and a PG can't because they're not that kind of physical scoring and playmaking force. They also just match up better in terms of their interior defense. Like, I don't know what the Clippers would do with a guy like Jokic, so... And I don't think that they are good enough playing small ball five out offensively to make up for how far behind they are defensively and just how much they would get absolutely obliterated by a truly great big man like Jokic. So to me, I really like the Clippers. I think that I have a lot of faith in their star tandem. I do like their role, guys. Another advantage they have over like the Warriors and Lakers, they're not going to have to go through the play-in, which is going to be nice. And again, their five-man lineup of PG, Marcus Morris, Kawhi, Zubats, and Terrence Mann has an offensive rating of 133 this year. Like, they can score the hell out of the ball, and they can defend pretty well. I don't think they have a truly elite defensive ceiling because I think they're either giving up size going small or you're working with an interior meh guy in Zubats, and it's not like they have outstanding perimeter defensive talent, although they are good there. But they can be elite offensively. They can be quite good defensively. But just the one-dimensional aspect of it scares me. And it's the thing that has killed them before. And I think there's reason to believe that it could absolutely kill them again. Yeah, I think so. So the Clippers are also eight for you, yeah? That's correct. And uh, maybe we get into the Lakers talk right now because you have the number seven. Uh I think you're right, too. I think all the matchup things you laid out, too, about the Clippers. Um, I like their depth certainly a lot more than Phoenix, than, you know, than Golden State. Uh, as for L.A., I don't have L.A. here. I, I know they're just a few games back, and they're in the play-in. That's a big reason why is just that the Lakers have to get there first, and I need to see that they're going yeah. to be there. And the next thing is, I want to ask you, Carson, you're a basketball historian, We've talked about this a few times. It's so hard for teams that are constructed. I've said this a few times after the Lakers trades. It's so hard in half a season to gel together and to find that continuity, that chemistry. That's why I think teams also like Denver, um, Milwaukee, uh, even L.A., Golden State, have a continuity factor that I don't have to question. Right? These teams know how to play together. They know what their formula is to win um, Denver especially, like night to night, they just have such a solid formula. It's hard for teams in half a season to really, you know, iron every issue out, everything out. One, do you think the Lakers can get to that championship ceiling in half of a season? And then two, is there any time in NBA history where you've seen this much roster turnover or the insertion of a star or a few guys that has led to a title where they've been able to figure it out in such a brief amount of time? No, I can't think of an overhaul of role players like we've seen this year. You think of the deadline moves that have led to maybe pushing a team over for the title, and it's Sheed to Detroit in 04, it's Marcus Gasol to the Raptors in 2019. It's never four moving parts, which is what you have with the Lakers here. I think that D'Lo... Rui Hachimura, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt are all fundamentally important to the Lakers' title chances. So, I do think that's a factor. At the same time, I think we've already seen 
that these guys fit pretty seamlessly here. D'Lo is the only guy who maybe you could have some concern about him stepping outside of his role, but he certainly hasn't done it so far, and we've only seen four games, but I think he's done a nice job of playing a complementary role, providing some of that necessary shot-making and playmaking without doing some of the bad D'Lo stuff offensively that he can slip into, where you don't want D'Lo controlling the entire pace of the game and dictating every possession when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, right? That's sort of a worst-case scenario, honestly, but he is clearly their third most gifted offensive player. So I do think that that influx is a benefit. And then Malik Beasley is just this awesome shooting weapon, right? Jared Vanderbilt, I mean, he doesn't need to touch the ball more than five times a game to have a positive impact. He'll just make a couple smart cuts and reads as a passer, and he'll defend his ass off. And Rui is just a really nice big physical presence to add and a guy who can get his own shot in spots and attack closeouts and be a physical driver. So Bottom line is I'm not too worried about the fit. I'm more worried about the consistency because I think we've seen LeBron is still capable of anything. I mean, over his last 20 games, he's 32-9-8, and eight, Logan. Like, the guy is still unstoppable physically, and when he blends that with the skilled shot making, nobody can stop him. LeBron is still unstoppable offensively. And I do believe that in a playoff situation, he will be a plus defender. And we've also seen, in a small sample size, but they're plus 11 points per 100 with D'Lo out there. They're plus 16 per 100 with Malik Beasley. I really do think these guys are greasing the wheels of the offense and are solid pieces defensively, too. So my biggest concern here is that I think this ceiling, if we're talking about them being a true title contender is just very contingent upon Anthony Davis playing at a top 10 level consistently. Because although their role players are much improved, and I actually really like their role players now, they're still dealing with something of a talent deficit compared to the role players of the Nuggets or the top six of the Warriors. Like, I don't think they're quite that complete. So they need AD to be consistently great, and I just don't know that I have faith in that. I mean, we discussed it a couple shows ago, but there's just too many up and downs with him this year. Outside of health, like his last 10 games, he's been 21 a night on 49% from the field, 17% from three. Four out of his last six games, he hasn't hit 20 points. You're not sniffing a title with Anthony Davis playing at that level. And I should say, it's really hard for me to see them winning a title no matter what. It's more, yeah, I think they could get out of the West because I still think that there's a certain two teams out East that are clearly the best in the league. But I think, again, they match up really well physically against anybody. I think they are big as hell. They're athletic. They have LeBron James, which is a big benefit. They no longer have Russell Westbrook, who was a major negative to this basketball team. And again, it's just... They feel more legitimate than the Clippers because they feel like a real basketball team. Like, again, it's just the fact that they're not so one-dimensional, that it feels like LeBron can carry them in multiple different ways, and they have multiple different role guys who legitimately have versatile impacts, whereas the Clippers is just like one way every single time, and I don't think that they're good enough to be like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a home run all the way through. So... I can't consider them a top-tier contender because we still need to see it. 
they still have to make the play-in, get through the play-in. They're still the 13 seed, Logan. They're four games below 500. Like, of course, the margins here are very slim. I do think they'll make the play-in, and I do hope they'll get into the playoffs. But that's one of the bigger challenges still facing them. And then they need AD to be great. I'm honestly not worried about LeBron. I think he's proven the level he can play at. I'm not too worried about these role guys. It's just Anthony Davis. Are we going to get the Anthony Davis that we got for that 15-game stretch earlier in the year? My guess is probably not. I agree with pretty much everything you said about L.A. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty much everything. Uh, I, I don't really have any pushback. Uh, my number seven, uh, I've got the Philadelphia 76ers, and I'm interested because I know a lot of people are kind of hopping on the 76ers bandwagon. You know, have we been sleeping on them all season long? Are they one of the best contenders in the NBA? Are they the dark horse? Are they the sleeper? Because everybody's on you know, the Bucks and the Celtics. Uh, and there's good reason why. Uh, you know, they're number eight offensive rating on the season. They're number six in defensive rating. And they're nor- number four in net rating. At the start of this season, I said, maybe there's no better top four offensively in basketball. Harden, Maxi, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. And still, minimum 300 possessions. This is the fourth best five-man unit in basketball. That's Harden, Maxi, Harris, Tucker, and Embiid. And the reason, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about Philly. I really like their defense. I like how they funnel guys into Embiid and really utilize him as an elite shot blocker because he is an elite rim protector now. They've got shooting all over the court. They're fourth and three-point percentage this season. And I guess my thing, the reason that they're so low on this list is just kind of learned skepticism is what I'd say. Um, Skepticism, especially of these two big stars, uh, Embiid's health come playoff time. We still have yet to see him healthily get through an entire playoff run. Is that attainable for Joel Embiid? Um, Harden and Embiid, year by year, we've seen a free throw decrease and scoring drop come playoff time. Embiid, from the regular season to the playoffs uh, over his career, a three-point-per-game drop and three less free throws attempted per game. Harden, uh, we've seen him go from two years ago, he's 28 a night, This is a different James Harden. He's putting up 20 and 19 in his last two playoff runs, and I think night to night you see it. Um, Harden can't manufacture offense anymore. He can't create it for himself. He has to take advantage of what the defense gives him, and he's a great playmaker. I don't want to take anything away from Harden's playmaking ability. In the pick and roll, he's still a great passer. Um, When he can get downhill and when somebody attacks too far on a closeout, when somebody bites on a pump fake and that space is opened up for him, and somebody slides off, he can still make those passes. He's a really good passer. James Harden always has been, but he can't he can't create it for himself anymore. And I like the depth too, right? I like Maxi. I like Tobias Harris. I like PJ Tucker as a versatile piece. Uh, some of these guys off the bench I like too, but it's just like I don't have enough faith in James Harden and Joel Embiid to bank on the Philadelphia 76ers, and I just think there's better all-around teams out east. I think there's three definitively better teams out east that I like top to bottom than Philadelphia. And like I said, the numbers will tell you differently, right? You've got two 20-point-per-game scorers. You've got two additional 15-point-per-game scorers who are uber, uber talented. You've got defenders. This team plays hard. You've got an elite defense, but it's, like I said, it's learned skepticism. I've learned to be skeptical of James Harden. I've learned to be skeptical of Joel Embiid, and that's kind of my entire case. I've learned to be skeptical of Doc Rivers. You know, it's, it's, I've seen the 76ers play basketball. I've seen this unit go into the playoffs before, and I just don't believe in it. So maybe I'm lower than the census on Philadelphia, 
And, you know, maybe Philadelphia wins a playoff series, but I don't really see them getting out of the East. I just like three other teams more, and I've learned to be skeptical of the Philadelphia 76ers. I got burned last year. Mm -hmm. I bought in. I said, this is the year that Philly gets it done. This is the year that Philly gets through the East. This is their year. And they burned me. And I think I know what the Philadelphia 76ers are, and I'm not willing to bet uh, on them making any noise in the playoffs. Like I said, there's three teams that I think are definitively above Philadelphia out East. And uh, I think Philly's four for me. Interesting. I like the Sixers a bit more than you do, and I think the reason for that is that they are right up there for having the best duo in basketball, in my opinion. Like, yes, Harden is not the same level of imposing scorer that, of course, he was at his peak. He still has this incredible control over the game and can create an incredibly high shot quality as a jump shooter. And a lot of times it does feel like he gets what he wants, but he's certainly not the same threat attacking the paint that he used to be. And I think that part of that is because of a bit of loss of athleticism. Like only 17% of his attempts are coming inside of three feet. He's not even using that short range painted area quite as much as he did the last couple seasons. But he is a genius playmaker. He is an awesome tempo setter. He is a awesome complimentary piece to Joel Embiid, and he's a highly efficient still volume scorer. And on top of that, I think that this is a really good team defense. I think that Tyrese Maxey is as good of a third option as you're going to find in the entire NBA, and a guy who I could easily see scoring 25 a night in any playoff series who can be lethal as just a guy away from the ball who gets red hot shooting, who can also take over and just completely dominate you as an isolation pick and roll scorer. I think Maxi is the kind of guy who, in terms of third options, probably scares opposing teams more than just about anybody else out there. I don't think the role players are top tier, but I do really like Melton and I do really like still some of the defensive value that get, you get from P.J. Tucker. He's not the same player, certainly, but I do still think that he's a guy who helps them in the front court defensively and has the ability to match up against certain wings and bigs and can be valuable there. And I'd say this, too, about Philly. If the defense translates over, if they are a lead on the defensive end, this is a team that can rack up points uh, in a hurry, too. They're a lead in transition. Harden is... Uh, as big a part of that as anybody else. It's a part of his unselfish play. Like, when they're stifling teams on the defensive end, they're really hard to stop because they just get out and run on teams, and they're able to score. In the playoffs, it's different. Obviously, the game slows down, but they're also bred for the half court because, like you said, you have a half court killer in Maxi. You've got another really talented guy in Toby. Why do you think this run's going to be different, Carson? Well, I don't necessarily. I still have them as my number three team out East, but I do think that this is pretty clearly the most talented team that they've had. I think Harden clearly looks better than he did last year, and Maxi was very good in the playoffs last year, but I think that he is also a superior overall player now. And I like what they've gotten from role guys like Melton and Tucker. So also Embiid is the best that he's ever yeah. been. So I just think they're kind of slightly better all the way across the board, and yeah, that can you know, improve my faith in them. I do still think that it, we have to see Embiid and Harden hold up to their regular season level in the playoffs, and we'll see if Embiid 
just falls apart physically a bit as he has. And we'll see if both of their reliance on free throw shooting, which you just can't on can't quite count on to the same extent in the playoffs comes back to bite them again those are all still concerns in my mind and again they don't quite have the just outstanding role player contributions beyond that top four that you get from Milwaukee and Boston where you go nine deep and you're like oh my god these are studs so I think they're a tier below that but I think if you compare them to Cleveland they're just high level offensive skill the fact that they have two Probably top 15 players, certainly top 15 offensive players with a lethal third option and a really good fourth option, and they still have the potential to be a top five kind of defense. That top end talent pushes them into a different tier for me, but I certainly don't think they're a shoe in. Like, I'd be surprised if they got out of the East. I'd be pretty legitimately surprised, especially because they'd have to beat both Boston and Milwaukee for that to happen, which I don't see that. Yeah, I, I actually like Cleveland more. I've got Cleveland pretty high up on my list. Uh, Higher than six? Pretty... Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Uh, Who do you have six? At six, I've got the Golden State Warriors, and uh, I think this is kind of appropriate for them. I, You know, for a period of time, I held on. They're my favorite out west. Steph's been hurt for a minute with that left leg injury. Um Minimum 300 possessions, this is the second-best five-man unit in basketball. Minimum 700 possessions, this is still the best five-man unit in basketball. That's Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, Green, and Looney. On the season, not impressive stuff. Number 12 offensive rating, number 20 defensive rating. They've struggled on the road. They've struggled to play defense and struggled to stay healthy. Curry still hurt. GP, um, and now in, we need to see him healthy. Iguodala's hurt. Wiggins uh, has missed some time, too, here and there. I don't want to get too much into the Warriors because I, I feel like I give this spiel anytime we talk. We haven't seen Steph in a minute. Steph needs to play at an MVP level. Uh, they need Jordan Poole to ball out off the bench. They need to play elite-level defense, but they've still got the best two shooters in basketball. They've got one of the best genius players on both ends of the floor in basketball and Draymond Green. We know what defensive ceiling they can reach. I think the biggest concern with the Golden State Warriors this season is the bench. Bringing back Gary Payton II was imperative to Golden State's championship uh, you know, chances this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this team is going to need Iguodala. I think this team is really? going to need Kuminga. I think this team is going to need Ty jo- I think it's all hands on deck, man. I mean that. Like, if the Golden State Warriors somehow get a title this season, dude, it's going to be the most impressed I've ever been with any Warriors group ever by far. I mean, this is the weakest bench I can remember, but I think it's going to be, I like DiVincenzo. I like Ty Jerome a lot. I think they're elite guys off the bench. I mean, elite. I'm so glad Ty Jerome has hopefully found himself a home. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is like the weakest bench that we've ever seen. And yeah, that's my biggest thing. We just need to see it and we haven't seen it. I'm going to, we're going to come back and review the Golden State Warriors again when Steph is back healthy and we can see him, uh, at full strength, if we can see this team win on the road, see this team play great defense, um, the bench kind of stinks, and that's why they're as low as, as they are. I like the benches of other teams more. I like the star power of other teams more, and they just seem right below. But uh, again, I, I don't have to. I don't have to pitch to you guys about why Golden State can win the title. We've seen yeah. it over and over again. We know the formula, and we know what they need to do to get there. It's just is the bench going to be good enough to get them through the playoffs? Right now, I would say no. Right now, I, I just definitively like the Nuggets more, uh, the bench, the starting five, 
Um, and I like Phoenix more. I'll go ahead and spoil it. Uh, Phoenix after acquiring Kevin Durant, what's not to like? So uh, Golden State is third for me out West, but I can definitely see them climbing the ladder once Steph returns. I have the Warriors at 6-2, and it's pretty interchangeable to me between them and Philly. Philly's just proven it so much more. I mean, Philly's 27-7 and since that 12-12 and start. Like, I don't want to sell short. They have been a consistently elite two-way basketball team. With an eight-game win streak and with a seven-game win streak, man, they can rip them off. And with injuries to Maxi, like, it's very, very impressive what they've done. Whereas the Warriors haven't really done anything impressive this season except for that number you mentioned. I mean, that's why you maintain faith, right, is the fact that their top six is still elite. Their starting five has a net rating of plus 22. They would be the best offense in basketball by a comical amount, offensive rating of 128, and they'd be the best defense in basketball. And I actually think I like this bench now. I think that when you consider the fact that GP2 should be there for some part of the playoff run, obviously he is just an incredibly valuable defensive piece. He's a super smart, versatile offensive player, a guy who's going to cut well, play within the flow of the offense, really good athlete, which helps on both ends of the floor. And dude, like you said, I love DiVincenzo and Ty Jerome. Like, I think those are good bench minutes that you're getting. And I've always been a big fan of both those guys, especially DiVincenzo. Early in the year, he didn't quite look like the player I would hope he is. But overall, you're getting a good athlete shooting 40-plus percent from deep who's a really good instinctual playmaker and understands how to play Warriors basketball and can defend. And Ty Jerome, you're getting... This 6'5", really skilled playmaker who's also a high-level shot maker, 40-plus percent from deep, who is just going to make smart decisions and compete all around. So I like those guys. The biggest concern with the depth, to me, is outside of Draymond and Wiggins, who is going to come in to guard bigger wings? Because it's Kaminga, right? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, unless you want to throw Anthony Lamb out there for some big playoff I think, I mean, minutes. I don't know. I'd argue that Kaminga's been a pretty a pretty good on-ball defender this season. I think he has been a good on-ball defender, but I think he has not been a good off-ball defender. And I think that he still makes some glaring mistakes there. Like, just in the last couple of games against L.A., you have him totally overhelping, falling asleep away from the ball, not properly communicating on switches, and it's just like, oh, great. Let's run an action at Kaminga and or let's just drive downhill and know that he won't properly recover to his man and we'll get a wide open three out of it. He's not Otto Porter Jr., I'll tell you that. Otto Porter Jr. was a very, very solid two-way wing last year. So they need him there, and that's a bit concerning to me. He can be quite good on the ball, but I will say, overall, this Warriors team hasn't defended well at all this entire year and that was their backbone last year they weren't great offensively in the regular season but they were the best defense in the league when Draymond was out there and even in the playoff run they were quite good offensively but they were even better defensively I mean this the starters still have a defensive rating of like 106.4 I mean the starters have defended well you know I mean the the top five has the the bench hasn't but there's way too many lapses and I understand that like they don't care too much but Draymond actually just came out and talked about this on his podcast and he was like 
people talk about flipping the switch, but you can't just flip the switch like yeah. that. It's not just an instantaneous thing. And you have to actually commit to good habits and to giving consistent effort and to playing smart on that end of the floor. And they just haven't done that. There's been no improvement. The last 15 games, they're still 19th in defense. And there was just some embarrassing possessions in that Lakers game. So I have faith in their ceiling there, but I don't know if it's quite what it was last year where it was like, man, this team is locked down. Like they can make the Celtics wing tandem uncomfortable in a way that nobody else can. I do think that ceiling is still there because I think that the uh, defensive tandem of Wiggins and Dre with Clay also on the wing and with Looney just being such a smart and consistent positional defender, a switchable guy, they can be really good defensively, but they haven't been. And I think that that is at least worth noting and is sort of a concern. And the bottom line is that they just haven't been great anywhere all year. And that's the reason that they're still hovering around 500 here and they haven't been able to win anything on the road all year. So yeah, they belong in this top six because their personnel is still really similar to the team that just won the title. Their top six, none of those guys are any bit worse than they were last year. And I do like how they've rounded out their bench now if GP2 is healthy. But there's just a couple things that I think are a big enough concern for this team that they haven't earned their way back into that true top tier. So we agree on the Warriors. We have them in the same spot. I have the Sixers at five. I think we've sufficiently discussed them. If I were to explain why I have them over the Warriors, I would say because we've consistently seen them do it and because I think that the Harden and Embiid tandem with Maxi if those guys are playing up to regular season level, if they play up to their potential, that just sort of overwhelming star factor does overwhelm anything that the Warriors can put together. Not that that stopped the Warriors before, but I think the Sixers are just a better basketball team right now. They've certainly proven more. So who do you have at five? So this surprises me. So you don't have the Cleveland Cavaliers at all in your top eight. I would have them nine. I've got the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, at number five, and they've been my dark horse all season long. Uh, let me address something straight up. I, you know, I don't love the bench. I think Karis yeah. LeVert is going to be imperative to a to a deep playoff run. I mean, like LeVert's going to have to play his ass off, and he's he, he has flashes. He's one of those. He's like a what's a good? He's like like Malik Monk or like a. And what I mean by that is like. Man, he can have a fucking awesome game where he's doing everything on the court, up and down. He's making. He's good more passes. like. A Dinwiddie type, I would say, and where you're like super skilled when he's on. Yeah, because I, I mean, I mean, with when I say Monk, I mean consistency wise. I don't mean play style wise. I right. mean how he's just hot and cold. Um, Dinwiddie's a much better comp because I think Lavert is an elite sixth man. He's very talented, and I think in the hypothetical where the Cavs do make some noise in the playoffs, he's imperative to that formula. Um, he's a swing factor in games when they win. Mitchell and Garland, I just believe in as pick-and-roll ball handlers and manufacturing offense for these guys, the 7th and 33rd best pick-and-roll ball handlers in basketball, minimum three-and-a-half possessions a game. Uh, Garland is one of the best passers in basketball, and he just eternally just reads the floor. He takes what the defense gives him. That's one of my favorite things about him, and he doesn't doesn't force things. He's He's just taking what they give him. When he drives to the paint and there's not a shot there, he'll wait. He'll dribble around the paint. He'll dribble back out, and he'll find that shot. He'll find that pass. Um, the biggest thing with this team is the elite defense. They're number one in defensive rating uh, on the season. They're number 10 offensive rating. They're number two in net rating. 
And that's what I believe in when it comes to the Cavs. I think in a hypothetical against the Sixers, I don't think it's going to be cake. Now, Embiid is as hard of a draw as it comes. Harden and Maxi are hard to defend with Garland yeah. and with uh, Mitchell, I will admit. I mean, those are tough draws, right? Um, but driving downhill, making anything inside the arc, which I guess maybe is negated against the Sixers because they are so perimeter-oriented, it's just tough. You've got those two trees down there in the paint, man. Jared Allen and... Evan Mobley make life hell on anybody trying to get downhill, anybody trying to do anything inside the arc. They're so long, they're so feisty, and they're so just locked in. And Garland and Mitchell play hard. So does Isaac Okoro. Um, I believe in this defense. I believe in Garland and Mitchell in manufacturing offense for these guys. Mobley and Allen are interior forces. They're tough to deal with when you don't have size down there. Um, they bully teams that don't have physical presences. I think the pushback would be the bench. I'm as big a Chetty Osmond guy as it comes. You know, I really like Lamar Stevens. He had a couple rim-rattling dunks there against the Nuggets. Um, he's a fun, energy, defensive guy. But they're not super deep, and I think that's where the Cavs kind of have their biggest pitfall is they're not a super deep team. And that's my only issue with them. But uh, And maybe this is a Sixers bias thing is why I have the Cavs above them. I'm not buying any more Sixers stock. I'm, I'm done. They burnt me. Um, and so I'm going to go all in on the Cavs. I've, I said they were my dark horse uh, early on in the year. They still are my dark horse. I can see in a world this team taking somebody to seven in, a, in the semifinals. I can't see this team reaching the Eastern Conference Finals. I can't. Um, maybe. Just maybe. I can see them pushing a team in the second round, though. That's the ceiling for this team. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm talking myself out of them as a legit contender, bro. Maybe I am. Maybe in a roundabout way. Uh, this yeah. Let me let me let me t- tie a bow on this. This is a fuck the Sixers take. Okay. I don't believe in the Sixers, so I'm buying all the Cavs stock. Uh, that's my take. I really like Cleveland though. They're one of my favorite teams in basketball to watch, especially their top six. They have such an awesome uh, top six, and they're a lot of fun to watch. No, I don't think the Cavs are legit contenders, but they're a whole lot of fun, and they play hard defense every night. They're one of my favorite teams in basketball. I just think when it comes down to the Sixers matchup that you're laying out there, right? Maxi and Harden are flambéing Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. <laughs> the Sixers are significantly better on the wings. I mean, the Cavs only really ever play like one true wing at a time in meaningful lineups, but it's... Karis LeVert or Isaac Okoro it's just a significant weakness on this team still and then the interior defense of course is a huge asset for them and it's what has made them the best regular season defense and they have defended Embiid really well this year he's had a couple of pretty inefficient games he shot like 40 percent from the field hasn't had a monster outing at the same time Last year against them, he completely dominated, went off for 40 twice. So I do think they can guard him as well as anybody just by the nature of being able to stick either Mobley or Allen on him at all times and then have the other one there for help. It's like nobody's stopping Joel Embiid one-on-one, but that's as tough of a two-man combination in the paint as you'll ever have to face. The concern is just like how much of that aggressive helping, doubling, are they going to be able to get away with? I think it's always a decent strategy to make Embiid a playmaker. I also think, though, Tobias Harris is a guy who's more than capable of keeping you honest as a shooter. And 
it is Joel Embiid at the end of the day. And he's one of the greatest scoring big men that we've ever seen. And so I do have, for the most part, faith in him to still get his throughout a series, even against a strong interior defense like that. And then, yeah, the bench just isn't good. No Kevin Love anymore. I think he's a guy who would have been nice to have at least to play some rotational minutes. Not that he's had a great season, but he's another capable basketball player. You know, Dean Wade's a guy who plays 20-plus minutes a game for this team. I just don't like the bench. I don't think their offensive ceiling compares. Like, yes, they can have a series where Mitchell and Garland are both totally dialed in, and maybe there are certain matchups where Mobley can go after you and attack mismatches, but I don't think it's any of the best teams out East. Like, I don't think Mobley is feasting against the Sixers or the Celtics or the Bucks. I just think those are too good of team defenses and interior defenses. And uh, I just think that they are still at a bit of a talent deficit, both in terms of the top end and the bench compared to obviously like the top two contenders out East and then even a Philly in my opinion. So I really like the Cavs. They're a very good wing away. They're very good wing away from me looking at this team as a true championship contender, but they do need that because I'm sorry, bro. Isaac Okoro sucks offensively. Like he he's just going to be the worst offensive starter we see for like any of these teams that we're discussing off the top of my head. And wings are pretty darn important in today's NBA. So I just don't think they're quite as uh, complete and as talented as I've said. But I do really like the Cavs, and I think that the future is very bright. They just got to add that one last piece. Okay, who do you have in your four spot? Number four, I've got the Suns. What about you? I have the Suns as well. Yeah, and I think this is appropriate. I'm going to use a Carson Brewer classic here. Uh, we're still working in theoretical pieces here with the mm-hmm. Phoenix Suns because we haven't seen Kevin Durant on the floor. And it's not that I have any pushback. I have any issue with how these pieces are going to gel together. It's going to be filthy. It's yeah. going to be nasty. That's why ticket prices are through the roof. Try going to a Suns game now, buddy. Um, <laughs> KDD Book and Chris Paul are going to be one of the best trios in basketball. It's going to be so much fun with Aiden too, man. Like, it, It's just nice. KD has alleviated so much pressure or – Again, in theory, because we're, we still haven't seen it, in theory will alleviate a ton of pressure off of DeAndre Aiden and a lot off of Chris Paul. Chris Paul is going to have to do uh, a lot less perimeter scoring, perimeter creation, just pass and feeding everybody. Aiden's going to have to do a lot less scoring and hopefully can just eat on the low block and do his thing. Also, DeAndre, if you could dunk a basketball, that would be nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the bench blows. I'm going to keep it very brief. We've talked about the Suns a lot um, over the past couple of weeks. They've been a hot-button topic. Uh, did they just get Terrence Ross, man? Is yeah, that they what sure the Suns did. did. Yeah, I, I like that. Cool. He got 16 in his debut, 16-4-4 four four in 25 minutes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to get campaign to turn back the clock. We're going to need Damian Lee to play every night like he's playing a revenge game against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, we're going to need Jock Landale to make every three that he takes. Uh, he's a 23% shooter on the year. And, uh, yeah, man, the bench sucks. Um, like a different level of sucks. I like Josh Okogie, man. I like Tory Craig. Craig's probably going to start. I like Terrence Ross. Um, 
you don't have a lot of versatility with these guys, one, and then you don't have a lot of things that they do at an elite level, right? It'd be one thing if all of these guys were really good defenders, and then I'd like to bench. It'd be one thing if all these guys were really good shooters. They're all just kind of, eh, you know, and if they're on, they can have good games. We've seen campaign have a good shooting night with that janky jump shot. We've seen campaign get downhill and get to the rack and play well in spots. We've seen Terrence Ross, I mean, it's probably two to three years ago, really fill it up and and score the ball efficiently and at a really high level. Um, and then I forget, they got TJ Warren too. Shout out TJ Warren if he does anything. It's just like the bench is going to have to play the, the postseason run of their mm-hmm. lives. They're not going to get a ton of minutes, right? I assume they're going to chop this rotation down to eight to nine guys, um, really simplify some minutes. But I wholeheartedly like no one. <laughs> on this bench I like no one on this bench to give me impact minutes in the playoffs and that's what the Suns are I love the starting five though the starting five is sick it sure is and especially the top four I think you have to put them in Philly and maybe the Warriors when they're at their best as like the most talented top fours top to bottom in the NBA my gut reaction when the Suns got KD was to say that they were my slight favorite out West. I think the margin is very slim right now. I do have them just a tick behind the nuggets because I just feel like they have a couple more question marks. Like, yes, they have a different level of that star quotient and they do have this immensely talented top four. But as you said, I do think that the depth is still a concern and I like I really like the Terrence Ross pick. I mean, he's just a skilled offensive basketball player, right? Like, he's a really good shooter. He's a quick, good athlete. He's got floater touch. He's got a mid-range game. Like, he's a really confident and skilled scorer from all over the floor. But is that what they need? Like, it doesn't hurt, certainly. But what I really wish they could have is a big defensive wing who you could mix in there or a really good smaller defensive guard because I think that those are kind of the two biggest concerns here is just they have no big wings off the bench except for TJ Warren and they have no really good point of attack defenders. Okogie's pretty good, but this is one of the first concerns I mentioned after the trade. If you're matching up with the Golden State Warriors and you have Steph Curry and Jordan Poole to combat. If you're going up against the Dallas Mavericks and you have Luka and Kyrie to combat, the Suns are ill-equipped for that. Like, I think their interior defense can be great. DeAndre Ayton has the potential to be like a top five kind of rim protector when he's dialed in, when he's actually paying attention and giving really consistent effort. And Kevin Durant is as good of a secondary rim protector and a help guy in that role as there is in the league. Like, he can be a sort of game-breaker there. But against teams where it's just like, all right, we're just going to go at your guards, and we're going to cook them from the perimeter. We don't even need to get to the rim like you'll see the Mavs do and the Warriors do. The Suns, I think, are liable to just get cooked over and over again. And so that's a flaw that I think is worth noting. But listen, I think they've done overall well with the wing depth bringing in TJ Warren again an offensively oriented guy and Terrence Ross an offensively oriented guy but they're good 
And the only other rotational guys you had were Damian Lee and Landry Shamit. So you needed more than that. And Okogie has looked quite good recently. Like, again, defending really well and has been shooting the ball at volume and effectively. He's taking four threes a game over his last 10, making them at a 45% clip. And a lot of that is just over the last four games, he's taken like almost seven a night. Now, do I trust Josh Okogie's shot to be consistently good? Not really. It's kind of been the biggest problem in his entire career since he was a prospect. But I don't know if he can shoot well, then he certainly becomes a lot more playable. So bottom line, this team is still really good when Devin Booker plays. They're 21 and 12 just when he's out there on the floor. So you can look at the record that they have overall. You can think about all their flaws when they have had their best player out there. They've been a really good basketball team, and now they have a player who's on a completely different level. And, of course, you don't have McCall anymore. You don't have Cam. You've compromised your depth there. But I think that this is a good basketball fit. I mean, you have three now lethal pick-and-roll creators and guys who can complement each other, like Book, KD. Those are guys who can be incredibly effective if you run actions for them away from the ball, like Book coming off a pin down is lethal. KD, we know, can be an incredibly effective catch-and-shooter. Uh, can attack quickly. So they're versatile offensive weapons. All of them can have the ball in their hands. CB3, as you said, can be a great table setter, a guy who I still think can hunt switches in a playoff series and kill people with that mid-range game. We've seen it the last two years. Even if he isn't quite the same player, he ups his production by like five points per game no matter what just because he gets more aggressive. And he won't have to do that as much this year, but I still think he's a scary guy if he's attacking a defensive liability. He's just so smart there at getting the matchup he wants and getting the shot that he wants, the look that he wants. So the Suns have a really high ceiling. But yeah, bottom line is I think that they have a couple of flaws that are notable and that we haven't seen them work out because we haven't seen them play together at all yet. So they certainly have the ceiling to be the best team out West, but it does feel a bit disrespectful to put them above another team that has just been so consistently pile driving through the entire league when we haven't seen it from Phoenix at all yet. So I think we're probably going to have the same top three. Maybe we might flip the order on the top two, but certainly going to be the same teams, though, in some combination. Who do you have third in your contender rankings? Yeah, so third, I've got the Denver Nuggets, and they are a team that has shown us all season long uh, what they can do. My fundamental take on the Denver Nuggets for a while now, for the past few seasons, has been I don't think they can get to the finals. I don't think they can win a title uh, with Nikola Jokic at the five spot because he's such a defensive liability. But I don't think this defense has to be dominant because the offense can be absolutely overwhelming. They're number one in offensive rating. They're number 13 in defensive rating. They're number three in uh, net rating on the season. I'll just listen to these numbers. They're number one in three-point percentage. Yeah, MPJ 41% on seven three-point attempts uh, on seven threes a game. He's just got one of the most aesthetically pleasing jumpers in basketball, too, man. It's pretty. Jamal Murray, 39% on six threes. KCP, 46% on four threes. Bruce Brown, 38% on three. Aaron Gordon, nearly 40% on three threes. Jokic, 40% on two. Vladko Chanchar, 42% on two. You just got shooters all over the floor, and then you have the a guy that just commands so much attention. They send so many doubles at Jokic because... In most one-on-one matchups, he's unstoppable. You have to send that second guy, and then guess what, buddy? You're fucked. They're going to drain a three. Minimum 300 possessions. This is the best five-man unit in basketball. 
And I'll tell you a little secret, nerd seshers. Jamal Murray's not in that five-man lineup. It's KCP, Bruce Brown, MPJ, Aaron Gordon, and Nikola Jokic. I think that speaks volumes. This team, in any one possession, in any any offensive, like where you need buckets, I trust the Denver Nuggets more than any other team in basketball to get it done. One possession, you're done. Jamal Murray's going to hit a big shot. Nikola Jokic is going to find somebody. And the continuity thing comes into play here, too, is I just... It's taken me a minute. It's taken me a minute to warm up to the Nuggets to believe that this team can get it done. But with all this shooting surrounding Nikola Jokic, all these versatile pieces, I, I do believe in it. They're my favorite team out West, finally. It took me a while to warm up. It took me a while to get there. But they are. Now, what's going to kill them in the playoffs? The non-Jokic minutes. They're still terrifying. This is a 70-win team with Jokic, a 15-win team without Jokic. We give these numbers all the time, but they're disturbing. Mm-hmm. They have a rating of 126.2 in offensive rating with Jokic, 107.1 without him. They have a 111.4 defensive rating with Jokic and a 119 defensive rating, uh, 119.6, excuse me, defensive rating without Jokic. And my uh, my take on the Nuggets has been they need to get a guy who can defend in the paint for these non-Jokic minutes, and you at least shore up that end, right? You either need a high-impact you know, just one-dimensional offensive guy, or you need a high-impact, one-dimensional defensive guy for just non-Jokic minutes when you play them. And they don't have that guy. Now, Thomas Bryant, Reggie Jackson made their debuts uh, against the Cavaliers. Reggie Jackson made a sick-ass, like, three-quarters shot at Mm -hmm. the end of the third quarter. That was pretty nasty. They don't move the needle for me in, like, fixing those deficiencies. Thomas Bryant is not a good interior defender. Reggie Jackson is a good bench asset that can play well during a playoff run. So they're cool. Um, and the Nuggets are my favorite out West. Uh, I think that there are matchup problems. I think, like you said, I think the Lakers match up well against them if they can get there. Uh, Phoenix, Golden State, they all have a puncher's chance against Denver, but the continuity's there. They have the best player on the planet in Nikola Jokic, and they've got, they've got shooting all over the floor. And I believe in the defense to be good enough, right? They don't have to be great. They have to be great offensively. They mm-hmm. have to be just good enough defensively, and I think they can be. Um, so, yeah, the Nuggets are three for me, and I don't really know what – there's not a whole lot that the Nuggets can do uh, to move out of this spot. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the key points. This is an incredibly strong top six. This is the best shooting team in basketball, over 39% from deep and the best offense, and they've held those titles for most of the year. And there is no answer for Nikola Jokic in the entire league. Like the best matchup that I think is out there is probably the Sixers just because they have Embiid who can go right at him defensively. Phoenix maybe? Yeah, dude. Like Suns fans think that Aiton is a good matchup against Jokic. And, you know, he did okay in that playoff series when Jokic didn't have a single other high-level threat out there on the floor. But in his career against Aiton, Jokic is 28-11-8 on 60% from the field. So, you know, I'm not too worried. Like, yeah, KD is a helper, can have his fun. But guess what? Jokic will dissect you. I just truly don't think there's an answer. And again, there are certain matchups like against the Clippers. He's going to make you look stupid. Against the Warriors, I think he, he just dominates them. But I think the biggest key that has even made the Nuggets a better contender as of late and they're still in the same position for me like I've had them three this entire time but they've remained at three while some other teams around them have gotten better is that Jamal Murray is now star Jamal Murray again he's quietly having maybe his best regular season ever when you consider the fact that he started the year slow his last 15 
He's 24 and a half points, 6.7 assists per game on over 60% true shooting. He's an 88th percentile pick and roll scorer. This is Jamal Murray. This is the kind of guy who can go out there, who can give you 25 a night in the playoff series, who can elevate this team and be that other dynamic shot maker who doesn't just feed off of Jokic like an MPJ, like a KCP. Those guys who are just knocking down catch and shoots or, or KCP will attack closeouts that are off of stuff that Jokic creates for him. Jamal can swing a series, swing a game, getting himself good looks out of that pick and roll, out of isolation at times, just making big time shots. And that's scary. Their bench is improved. Reggie Thomas Bryant, they're fine at their respective roles. Chanchar, Christian Brown, guys who have come into their own more like, I don't love it beyond the top six, but God, do I love the top six. And I think that their seven through 10 now are okay. They have a bit more creation. They have a decent big and they have wings that have improved a little bit. So they're an incredibly complete team. I think that the question is going to be defense. They're a top 10 defense since December 1st. That's two-thirds of the season after they started out quite poorly on that end. And MPJ is having a better defensive season. But bottom line is they still do have liabilities. Getting rid of Bones, right? You got rid of your most glaring guy who would play big minutes. But you can still run pick and roll at Jokic. And if you have really good guards and if he's dropping... If you have Steph Curry, if you even have a Chris Paul, if you have a Kyrie Irving, like there are a lot of guys who can just consistently get great pull-up jumpers or can get into that mid-range game, get into their floaters, whatever. So they can be exploited a bit there. Now, I do think they're good enough. As you said, I think that they've proven that they can be an above-average defense, and they're so good offensively, the best in the league, I think, without question, that Yeah, I like them the most out West, but compared to the top two teams, they're still just not there in terms of two-way ceiling. They're not there in terms of the multiple star talents, and I don't think that their deep benches are as strong as the top two teams, which are really just ridiculously loaded there. So Logan, as it has been all year long, we're going to have the same two teams up here at the very top of the list. Who's number two for you? Yeah, the margins are extremely slim. I've got the Bucks at two, and we're picking straws. I mean, I think Giannis is probably the most impactful player in basketball when you look at all around. And at this point in the season, it does feel a little foolish to take the Celtics over the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks have won, what, like 14 straight? They're 14-1 and one in their last 15. Um, we've seen a little bit of Middleton, too, and I mean— both these teams are super deep. Uh, it's tough, dude. I, I just can't wait for the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I, I don't... I, I like the Celtics... I like the Celtics bench marginally more, and that's why I give them the edge. Just, like, a mm. little more. And it feels almost disingenuous, though, because the Bucks bench is so great, too. Ingles, Connaughton, Bobby Portis... Javon Carter. I mean, dude, these teams are loaded. I Definitively, if you have anybody else in your top two, I think you're foolish. The Bucks are yeah. better defensively. They have the number two defensive rating all season. They've got the third best five-man unit in basketball, minimum 300 possessions. Again, that's without Middleton. That's Holiday, Carter, Allen, Antetokounmpo, Lopez. If you take the minimum possessions away, obviously the group of Holiday, Allen, uh, Middleton, Antetokounmpo, and Lopez is better. <sighs> Man, I 
I don't know how to make the argument because I think both of these teams are just so balanced. I, I, I really do. Yeah. The distinction that I make is I like Derek White and Brogdon coming off the bench, and I think mm-hmm. that just is more deadly and more valuable to me in a playoff series is having those two guys. But it's it's marginal. It's slim. And Giannis is probably the second best pl- second most maybe Giannis is probably the who would I want I think Giannis is probably the second most impactful player in basketball maybe the most I'd say the most impactful I'd say the second or third best player in basketball and that goes into the the free throws the aesthetic uh, of basketball like I just don't like how Giannis plays I've said that time and time again my top three is KD Jokic and Giannis um Giannis is disgusting though man I I don't know dude I'm I hate when we have to do this on the podcast and I have to choose between the Bucks yeah. and Celtics again. Like I said, it's White and Brogdon. They they are why I take the Celtics over the Bucks. Do you think White is gonna come off the bench? Like, do you think they're going with the Horford Robert Williams front court again? I wouldn't, I don't think. Yeah, and I think the tape probably suggests that they shouldn't, that they should start Horford for spacing purposes. I could see them going either way. It honestly may end up being matchup dependent. Like maybe it's a matter of when they need more size, they go with that look, and that's the bottom line. They have options. I mean, Derek White, dude, is as good of a role player as there is in the NBA, and obviously there's been so much talk about Brogdon, you know, just being a six-man-of-the-year candidate, such an awesome pickup this offseason. But Derek White just went out and averaged 21-6 and on 62% true shooting in a month while being an elite defensive player. Like... Both these teams have such stellar supporting casts with star talent, with elite two-way ceilings. Like, this is going to be one of the best conference finals that I can recall. This is like if we had gotten to see 67-win Spurs uh, against 73-win Warriors really play out. It's going to be like 65-win Rockets in 2018 against the KD-Steph Warriors. Like... And honestly, these two teams are probably even more complete. Like, mm-hmm. it's incredible. So, I actually have the Celtics at two. And it's kind of for one fundamental reason. Because I think this Celtics team is clearly better than the team that just went to the finals, right? Derek White is playing much better than he did last year. Grant Williams has gotten better. They have Brogdon to begin with. Even a rotational piece like Sam Hauser, new introduction. They picked up Mike Muscala. Uh, yeah, but, you know, Blake being a competent rotational guy. Uh, <laughs> I think that this is clearly a better team. Tatum is better, more consistently. I think Brown is the best that he's ever been. But I also think this Bucks team is clearly better than the team that won the title. I think Giannis is marginally better, mostly in terms of playmaking. Holiday wasn't even consistently good when they won the title. He was 17 a night on 48% true shooting, and they still did it. And Middleton, obviously, is the swing factor. Like, he needs to be himself. But I think that he will be. Even over his last six, he's dropping 18-plus a night in 22 minutes. Like, it's about shot-making for him, right? It's not about, is he the best athletically that he could ever be? It's about, hey, Chris Middleton goes out there and he gets tough buckets. 90% of the shots he takes are contested. And guess what? He makes a lot of them because he's a bucket. Portis is a different beast. You think the biggest loss from that team is P.J. Tucker just because of what he brought defensively, but you have to love the fact that, like, they're getting quality bench minutes from Ingles and Grayson Allen and Javon Carter, guys who 
were not on that team who are really impactful, who are plus shooters, who are with Ingles and Carter, good playmakers, you know, have some defensive value in there. So the swing factor for me is basically that I trust Giannis more than I trust Jason Tatum, the Tatum-Brown combination. I just still think that there is a decision-making element that can go awry in Boston. And there are scenarios in which the Tatum-Brown combination can be suckered into bad shots and bad decisions. And we saw that Giannis, even in the toughest possible matchup, without Chris Middleton out there against the best defense in the league in Boston, with so many big bodies and quality wings, everything equipped to stop him, everything dedicated to stopping him. He still went out there and dropped 34 a night, and his efficiency maybe took a hit, but guess what? His playmaking was also remarkable. It was seven assists a night. So their offense hasn't been consistently good throughout this year, but when Giannis, Drew, and Middleton play together, they have an offensive rating of 120. When Drew and Giannis play together, they have a plus 10 net rating. When Middleton and Giannis play together, they have a plus eight net rating, and I love their bench. I love both these benches. Yes, Derek White and Brogdon have a different level of multifaceted impact as role players, but I also think that the Bucks have the advantage in having three true stars when they're at their best. Uh, so I think that we are in for a heavyweight battle. I think that, again, these teams have unbelievable defensive ceilings, unbelievable combinations of star power, role player value. I just have a bit more faith in that Bucks top end, specifically Giannis, to get it done no matter what. And I think we've seen that a team like Boston, you know, they were the most talented team in the NBA last year. And their star, their biggest star, had a rough patch that let them down. And I just think there is a sheer force of will and a physicality and a two-way complete imposition on the game that Giannis has that nobody else can match right now. So I do think he's the best player alive. You know, I ponder this often. Aesthetically, I certainly don't think he's my favorite to watch. He's not close, but I do think he's the best. Uh, because there's just that unstoppable factor that nobody can match on both ends of the floor. So any final thoughts here, Logan? I mean, this is two unbelievably strong teams. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely on what you said about the Brown and Tatum combo. And that's what I would have said. That's their pitfall is they're inexperienced and they are prone to making bad decisions. I think you said that perfectly. That's what still scares me about the Boston Celtics, not just against the Bucks in any series. You know, I, in the finals, in the Eastern Conference finals. Because late game, you're not going to Derek White. Late game, you're not going to Malcolm Brogdon. You're going to Jason Tatum and you're going to Jalen Brown. And we've seen them under the pressure and they've crumbled a little bit under the pressure. And so, yeah, I, I, that does scare me. Uh, i just like to say, too, I hope the refs do not give Giannis a light whistle. Uh, I hope they let the boys play through a little more contact, man, a little more pickup style, just a little harder, man, because... I don't like watching Giannis. I've said that time and time again. The the way the refs officiate, just like interior drives too. I wish they'd, I wish they'd let him play a little more. No guy should be shooting thirteen free throws a night, bro. I would just like to add one more point, unrelated to that, uh, which is that I can't believe that I forgot to mention Jay Crowder, who I think is a legitimate swing factor here, just because we haven't seen him yet. But dude. What? Jay Crowder, at his best, is an awesome two-way wing. If he shoots well, well, yeah, at his at his best. I mean, he was he was pretty poor defensively last postseason. He hasn't played this year. Was a spotty. I don't shooter. know if I agree with that. He was poor offensively last postseason. I think he was pretty poor defensively too. I think 
probably the biggest liability for Phoenix last season. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I think theoretical Jay Crowder is great, but I don't know if we're going to get great boss man. We'll see. At the very least, I think this is a quality wing, a big physical guy who, yeah, is inconsistent as a shooter. He's a rotation guy, borderline, though. Maybe in Milwaukee, anywhere else, he's like a, a I, I, I think you're too low on Jay Crowder. I think Jay Crowder is the kind of wing that when it comes to, hey, let's make our final acquisitions, every team is served well by adding. And I think that he matters for Milwaukee. So, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And uh, I still, everything for me, as much better as the West has gotten, it's clearly improved a lot. It's remained a conversation of, hey, who's getting out of the West, not who's winning the title from the West, because I just think the Bucks and the Celtics are heavyweights, dude. Like, even the Celtics, we talked about, oh, man, their decision-making is a question. Well, they've been a top-three offense in basketball all year. Jason Tatum, you know, has been a super-efficient 30-point-per-game scorer and pretty good playmaker, like... You know, if that's what's going to questionably bring you down, you're a pretty damn good basketball team. But then again, the Bucks are 41 and 17. We haven't seen Chris Middleton like himself. We haven't seen Chris Middleton at all for more than half the year. They're just now getting the influx of the Ingles and the Crowders of the world. And they have Giannis. Andrew Holiday's been really good this year. So that's going to do it for us here today, guys. Stay excited for that. Stay excited for seeing some of these New look teams more often. Can't wait until we see KD out there for the Suns. Going to be fun to see more of these Lakers. Uh, can't wait until Steph is healthy again. It's going to be a hell of a home stretch and an awesome postseason. So you guys know where to find us. TikTok at NerdSesh. Instagram, same handle. Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. TikTok is where we'll be most consistent with the content, trivia, stuff, clips from the podcast and whatnot. Check us out on YouTube. And uh, you guys know where to find the podcast. You're already here. So... Appreciate you as always. And with that, I've been Carson Brebber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Session.